This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, Sean, I guess one of the blessings of basketball season ending and spring football starting is we won't have to uh, conflict the two together. Uh, but look, David Eichel, Sean Bach, HawkeyeInsider.com, part of 24-7 Sports Network here talking about Iowa spring practice starting up this week. We'll get a chance to meet with Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz on Wednesday, so be sure to stay tuned to Hawkeye Insider for that. Uh, Sean, you and I discussed before we started the podcast, we will do a basketball-only podcast, and maybe in just the next little bit, but with spring football starting, I think it's important that, I don't know, you and I just really dive into this. I mean, you talk about this is probably the most storyline-riddled spring football, at least since I started covering the team in August 2018. It just seems like there's a lot of positions open. There's a lot of just questions of just a lot of intriguing things about where Iowa could go um, with this team. But, Sean, I know you got the chance to go out to Indianapolis for a couple of days past weekend, guys, see the mighty St. Peter's uh, Peacocks advance to a Sweet 16. Uh, how was your trip? And I know you got a chance to catch up with some Iowa prospects as well. Yeah, I got to uh, was down in Indianapolis the last couple of days. Um, got to see, like you mentioned, Dave, a couple couple linemen that the Iowa I was recruiting. Obviously, uh, Leighton Jones, who's committed to Iowa to play center, um, got to talk to him for a bit. Kendrick Gilbert, three star defensive lineman from Indianapolis Cathedral, um, got to see him. And then Indianapolis Ron Colley, three star offensive lineman Trevor Locke, and you know the, both those two guys, those uncommitted guys, said a really positive, said a lot of really positive things about Iowa. Um, and where things stand right now with them, obviously Jones committed a couple weeks ago, but you know, Lauk and Gilbert, I was really trending up for both of those guys. So, you know, you can check out on the site, those, those reports, I did some nightly nuggets about them as well. Um, so yeah, it was a really good trip, really fun trip. Nice to get away for a couple of days and, you know, see, see different schools and obviously, you know, enjoy some company down there and, you know, do, do those things. So yeah, it was a, it was a good time, but you know, now it kind of really feels like things are really starting to get back into the, back into the swing of it. Obviously you had basketball the last couple of weeks, but you know, you, Dave, you mainly cover that. I kind of, you know, help you out here and there with that. But, um, you know, I think spring football is kind of, you know, seems like a time where the calendar really turns with not only, you know, college football, but also our coverage too. It really seems to ramp yeah. up and, you know, recruiting really starts to get going and, you know, a bunch of other things. So it's a, it's a fun time for sure. I'm looking forward to it. To borrow uh, one of our colleagues' sayings, Josh Pate, no offseason. I mean, there, yeah. there, there really just isn't. Uh, but look, no, I mean, there's plenty of storylines. We're going to dive into some of them. I know we've spent a lot of time talking about this type of thing, but when you have this many questions, Sean, we just got we got to keep diving in detail about it. One of the more critical off-seasons, I think, as well. I mean, Iowa, fresh off a 10-win season, 10-2 you know, regular season, but then – to have the performance they did in the Big Ten title, to lose a close game against Kentucky, it really just begs the question. It's it, you know it, I hate comparing it to the basketball team, but I, you gotta hear me out when I say this, Sean. It's very good program I think right now. I think Iowa basketball certainly with with the way they ended this season, twenty six wins, Big Ten tournament, 
championship. I mean, when especially when nobody thought they were going to do that this season, high power offense. But Iowa is now at a threshold of how do they get to that next step. And I think that's what people are so just kind of itching to get at. And I mean, it wasn't even the fact that, you know, I think 2021 football season was a very good season. I think people had a lot of fun with it. I think it was frustrating as well for them to watch the offense go out there time and time again. Uh, and then obviously what happened in, in Indianapolis, just very demoralizing. And you talk about demoralizing probably Iowa athletics in the past week, Sean, I mean, probably one of the, one of the worst weeks to be an Iowa fan and, quite some time with the men and women basketball losing the wrestling ending the way it did. And then, you know, maybe we'll, we'll get down the road with some recruiting stuff later on, but where I'm getting at with this, Sean is Iowa football is they, they got a lot of talent. I think they're recruiting better than ever. And there's just, there's a lot of upside, but how do they achieve that upside? And I think people want to see significant steps taken this spring uh, to be able to do that. So where does it start? I mean, I think it obviously starts at the quarterback position. That's what's going to drive this team. And obviously, I think it's going to be interesting as well, Sean. How how does Iowa, you know, make up for the loss of Tyler Linderbaum? And how how is that chemistry going to work between the center and Petrus and Padilla and Joe Labis? I mean, it's it's just going to be a very intriguing offseason for a variety of reasons. I expect Iowa's defense to still be what it is. I expect – you know, I also think, Sean, the special teams is going to be very fun to watch because it's almost like Iowa's taking for granted how consistent that's been over the past couple of years. But you lose Caleb Shudak now. You still have Torrey Taylor. But there, there's just a lot of questions across the line. So let's take a step back. Quarterback battle. Now it's really going to start heating up, Sean. And it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how much of a fair shake is Alex Padilla and Joe Lavis going to get. And how much, you know, of a leash does, does Spencer Petras have going into the spring? Yeah, and, you know, I've said it time and time again. I think that, um, you know, Spencer is able to take that leap this year. or You know, maybe not the leap, but I think he'll be the starting quarterback come the season opener. And, you know, from I posted this on our board as well. Obviously, you know, take, take some of these things with a grain of salt. Um, and I wouldn't say grain of salt, but, you know, obviously preseason, everyone's playing at a really high level. But – you know, I've heard some good talk about Spencer Beecher saying that, you know, he's really taken that that leap from next year in terms of, you know, working out and, you know, mechanics and just being more comfortable under center. Obviously, you know, it's really limited with what they get to do in the spring, but or, you know, in the past couple months with the workouts and stuff in terms of on field, you know, play and, you know, running through things. But, um, you know, with in terms of workouts and everything like that, it's been it's been really positive with him thus far. And you know, that's a really encouraging sign, especially from last year. Um, you know, you know, he made strides last year, but, you know, this year it kind of seems really like night and day as one described it to me that, you know, Peters with his mechanics, you know, how he's throwing, you know, seeing the field, making reads. And, you know, I guess you, we'll wait to see once, you know, we get to see spring ball and obviously, you know, what we hear throughout the spring and, you know, everything like that. But, you know, it's really encouraging. Um, and, you know, I, I do think you bring up a good point. I'm, I was really curious about, you know, the Alex Padilla stuff. Obviously, during the offseason, we heard talk about potentially transferring and, you know, seeing what's out there. Obviously, it's it's not easy to, you know, take over the starting job and then, you know, lose it after, you know, I know there were some people that disagreed with the uh, decision of to take or to have a really short leash for Padilla in that Nebraska game. Obviously, you know, it turned out well for Iowa thanks to the defense, but, 
you know, still that kind of ruffles some feathers a little bit. And you kind of thought, okay, maybe Padilla's going to look into the portal after this. And, you know, I think, you know, him coming back is maybe a sign that, okay, you know, maybe there's a chance for me to get in. Maybe there's a chance for me to play more this year and potentially take over that starting spot. I guess we'll find out come spring. But, you know, I think Padilla's play and, you know, able to get him more, you know, involved with everything is going to be really encouraging for the long term. And, you know, his his potential stock this season. And same thing with Labis too. I think, you know, obviously there was a lot of buzz with him during spring ball. And, you know, I think Brody Breck talked really high about him um, during, you know, spring practice and during, I think, baseball media availability day. I know I think Scott Dockman had an article about that saying that, you know, he was making that Breck said Mahomes, or Labis was making Mahomes like plays um, with the scout team and made a number of touchdowns. But, you know, I think, I still think he might be a year away from doing that. But I also think this is a really important spring ball for him because it's that extra stepping stone to having that great, you know, spring where he could potentially compete for the spot because correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, Peters could come back for another year next year if he wants to. I believe so. I believe so with COVID. And I think he redshirted his first year on campus. Mm-hmm. I will need to dive into that, but I'm about 95% sure that, that he'd be eligible to come back next year. Yeah. And but same yeah. thing with, I was going to say same thing with Padilla too. He's got another two years at least um, to come back and, you know, do something with it. And, uh, you know, Labis, like I said, I think he can make a run this year, but I mean, I really don't see him being the starter at all. I think maybe, you know, he could contend for a backup spot, but, you know, I still think he's a year away from being a legitimate uh, contender for that starting quarterback job. But this is, like I said before, this is a huge spring for, you know, to him to, you know, no pun intended springboard himself into, you know, potentially competing for that spot. The, the other part, too, is, Sean, uh, with, with Padilla is, like you said, I, I, I have a hard time. You know, it's it's difficult pill for anybody to swallow, right? You, you take over the starting role. You win a couple games. Uh, you, you look pretty good during it, too. I mean, obviously, the completion percentage wasn't there. But there are a couple times where I think you and I were sitting next to each other in the press box. And we kind of nodded our heads like, okay, he's giving him a nice little spark. Like, even if some of the players aren't there, he's taking shots downfield. He's moving well in the pocket. Never really seemed flustered, I think is the right word. But with that being said, Sean, I have a hard time believing that Alex Padilla would uh, – let me see how I phrase this. I have a hard time seeing Alex Padilla not even look into the transfer portal without having a long, in-depth conversation with the Iowa coaching staff and basically being like, hey, look, I started a couple games. I don't really want to go back to being on the bench. What's, you know, going into spring, am I going to have a legitimate shot at winning the starting quarterback job? And I think the coaches would have had to give them an unequivocal yes. And I think that is true the case. But, Sean, this is something you and I have talked about off, off the air a little bit, and I kind of want to throw it on. And I'm, I'm very conflicted about what Iowa would do here. But let's say that the quarterbacks don't make the progress in the spring the way they want to. Depending on who's in the portal, does Iowa look into the portal for a transfer quarterback? And I, I think it's almost a double-edged sword because Iowa talks about how complicated their offense is and how much time you need to be able to learn it, learn the reads and all that. And if that's the case, why wait that long to go into the transfer portal if you're looking for immediate help, given some of the names that that were previously in it? But given the numbers and given if Iowa doesn't make progress, Sean, I mean, it, you know, what, what does Iowa do? I, I do think that they, they, depending on who's in the portal, maybe they look in the portal a little bit for a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, you know, taking that out of the question. But I think with Padilla coming back, that might, you know, change things up a bit. 
yeah. I think there's a chance that I would, you know, kick the tires a little bit with a couple guys and, you know, it has to be the right fit. I know there was some talk about some guys that they previously reached out to um, that I heard some buzz about that, you know, the staff was interested in, but um, those names are kind of, those already are committed elsewhere at this point. But, you know, I, I do think it's a possibility. I'm not, you know, taking out a question. I do think Peter's just a starter next year, but I would not be surprised to see Iowa, you know, as of now, potentially look at, you know, another quarterback. I don't know when, you know, I think maybe after string ball, um, maybe an offensive lineman, maybe another defensive lineman. Um, you know, they got tight end Steven Stilianos from Lafayette, but, you know, it's still kind of, you know, playing things out a bit. But I definitely could see a scenario where Iowa potentially looks at a quarterback in the portal. It's one of those things where you look at the numbers and it's impossible to keep things the same way. Like, it's just not possible. There, there's no explanation. There's no way to justify it. Iowa has to find a way to provide a spark. And, you know, I'm with you. I think Petrus is a starter next year, given unless Alex Padilla makes a big leap in spring, maybe Joey Lavis makes a huge leap in spring. We've seen guys take that year one to year two sort of big jump. And I think if it's truly an open quarterback competition, then, you know, they'll, they'll have their chances to unseat Petrus because while Petrus has won football games and that's what Iowa cares about more than anything, what was what was the stat, Sean? Like like four touchdowns since April. I mean, since October 9th, I think was the stat last year. And I think Padilla had two of them. And Petrus is, I think, two came in the Citrus Bowl. Like that was like six weeks straight or something without a passing touchdown. Like that's just not modern day college football. That's not high level college football. You can't win in a power five conference, especially the big 10 by not throwing the football. You, you, you just can't, or at least have a threat. And the reality is it'd almost be different if Iowa didn't have several options. Like Sean, I expect Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson to make big leaps this spring. I expect them to be capable stars next year, ready to really turn it up another to another level. I think they dipped their toes in, but now they know what it takes. I think Keegan, if he can clean up his drops, I think he could be – I think he has a chance to have a very, very good year. I don't want to say special or anything like that, but, I mean, I could see him six, 700 yards, six, seven touchdowns. If that's the case, and Iowa got fantastic production out of that for a true sophomore receiver. Arlen Bruce can do a couple of different things on Nico Regani back. And, and, you know, we'll see who else can emerge from that spot. And, I mean, obviously I think Sam Laporta – uh, could have a very, very good senior season as well. But, you know, I, I think that while part of it is the play calling and part of it is, you know, Iowa's offense does, I mean, again, it needs to be modernized to some extent. There were times last year, Sean, where you and I were both watching, you know, just looking at the field, talking on the side. And look, Iowa had guys open downfield. Iowa just isn't looking for the deep throw. And that comes down to the quarterback's decision-making and his willingness to take those risks and to perfect those throws. I mean, there were times Keegan was wide open downfield. Arlen broke free a few times. And I don't want to say the receivers were increasingly frustrated, but there were some times they're like, guys, just like throw the ball. And the problem is, Sean, if you don't throw the ball downfield, guys are going to start, you know, I don't want to say half-efforting routes, but they're just going to go through the route because they don't think they're going to get the ball thrown to them ever. And that alone sets back your offense. You need guys that are going to be like, hey, I'm going to go run through this route at full speed, and I'm gonna, I need I need to know I'm going to have a chance to get the ball. And honestly, if you don't throw the ball to them and they're open time and time again, I don't think anybody's going to blame them for not giving full effort. Yeah, and, you know, I think, you know, you hit on it all there too, Dave. But I think part of it too is you got to talk about the offensive line. I mean, 
you know, yeah. the pass protection was not, you know, what it needed to be last year. And obviously, you know, there was improvement towards the end of the year. I thought the Kentucky game was a real big step forward, especially in the run game too. But, you know, if you're not getting the time back there, then, you know, that's not going to work. And, you know, I agree with you. I, I do think, you know, this offense really, this is kind of, I wouldn't say a make it or break it year, but I mean, you basically bring everyone back except Tyler Goodson and Tyrone Tracy. And obviously we know what happened last year with Tyrone Tracy, obviously all the struggles that he had and, you know, Goodson was in the same boat too, because, you know, not going to say all the offensive line, but I think there was some disconnect with him and, you know, potentially, you know, some certain run schemes or something like that, but you know, it's going to be it's going to be a big year for the offense. I, I do think the defense is going to hold its own. I think, you know, it has all the potential in the world to be, you know, one of the best, if not the best in the Big Ten again. But, you know, we saw the difference that, you know, I'm not going to say that the Michigan-Iowa game was, you know, on the defense or on the offense entirely. You know, Iowa's defense did give up, you know, 42 points. But, you know, there was some air there here and there. But, you know, I think that game – kind of showed you too that how big one or two or three big offensive mistakes can really you know change any momentum that you have I'm not going to say Iowa was ever in the game but you know there were definitely some plays at the beginning where you're kind of just like okay what are you what are you doing here like you know that could have really impacted the game long term what was the uh the trick play they ran on that first driver they had a wide I can't remember who was wide open in the end zone Potabon was wide open First, that was what was that the first or second drive? Yeah. And again, this and like you said, this doesn't mean like Iowa would have won the game if they scored there or anything like that. But that I mean, momentum is such a real thing. It flips it. I still think Michigan wins that game, obviously. But who knows how much more confidence the offense has going forward and what really goes on from there. And the other part of it too is Iowa missed it, like the field goal. I think at the end of that drive, it, it clanked off the right. I think right off the. Uh, right goal post. And I think at that point I was, I think I was texting you and I was just saying, yeah, this is not going to be good because if Iowa safety net falls through, I think it really psychologically. Now, not that Iowa's weak minded or anything like that, but I do think it does something to Iowa's team psychologically seeing a field goal miss, seeing the missed opportunities on, on offense. And then when they gave up that first big, big play, I mean, I, I think everybody, I think every Iowa fan, I think you and I knew, I think most of the Iowa media knew as well, Sean, like that was probably going to be the game. Like Michigan had everything going in that game. And, and, you know, it also comes back to the Kentucky game. I know, I know Iowa's defense, if they would have stopped them on that last drive, they would have won the game. And I think most people expected Iowa to stop them. And then Wandale Robinson showed why Wandale Robinson is a special wide receiver. He's a heck of a player, but that game's not on the defense. That offense, that first half was as bad as I think any of us have seen. I grant, I think the running game will work really, really well. And there were times this year, Sean, where Iowa moved the ball okay. I mean, they, they, they looked like when I was good, it's respectable. But when they're bad, I mean, it's bottom 10 the country. That, that's, just, that's just the way it is. And, you know, it's great that Iowa has a safety net and field goal kickers. And, you know, they're so consistent. They hit all these field goals. But you know what else that tells me? You're missing four points a drive when you're selling for field goals. And a lot of those best teams, a lot of those kickers of the year, a lot of those reliable kickers on those powerhouse teams, Sean, they're kicking 16, 17 field goals a game. You know why? It's because they're putting the ball in the end zone. And Iowa's got to find a way to be able to balance that out. It's just you can't, you can't, you can't win high level without it. Yeah, and I know the argument can be made, too, that, you know, Iowa trusts its defense so much that, 
you know, it wants to pin those guys or those opponents that deep in the, deep in the end zone or deep in their, you know, their own field. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you kind of got to go for it in some of those occasions. You got to have guys that you can rely on to make those plays that, you know, can help put you over the top and really help change the game and, you know, kind of take away from what you do, what you've done in the past. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is enough offensive talk. What do you think? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Yeah, the last thing I'll say is, you know how else you pin your opponents back? By putting up seven points instead of three <laughs> and zero. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's fair. It is. Very but no, true. like you said, we'll, we'll dive into more offensive storylines down the road, but there's plenty of defense stuff to hit on, Sean. I mean, I, I think we talked a lot about the cast position. We'll talk a little bit more about it now. Uh, obviously, replacing Matt Hankins. I think Iowa feels pretty good about that with Terry Roberts and Jamari Harris. But I also think, Sean, an underrated storyline is who steps up for Zach Van Valkenburg. And, you know, I know he hasn't always been the best pass rusher, but you talk about a guy who's been incredibly reliable from an edge perspective, especially, you know, setting the edge, running the ball, you know, take being a space eater and then having those big breakout games from time to time. And I always got several young candidates along that defensive line that I think could be special. I really like Deontay Craig. I like to see him continue to, to see some time there. Um, but look, there, I mean, I, I think if you're not, I think if you look at Iowa's team as a whole, like the Iowa's linebackers, it's almost like, okay, shrugging your shoulders, they're going to be good because they return everybody. Jack Campbell, I think, is arguably the best linebacker in the country, I think. I mean, his tackle numbers are crazy last year. I would love to see Iowa use Justin Jacobs more this year. I think his ceiling is so high, and I get it. When they run the 4-3, you take away the cash, and the cash has been responsible for – I don't want to say elevating Iowa's defense, Sean, but it's provided a new look that teams have to scheme against. And I think scheming against one Iowa defense alone, it, it can be a tougher task. Yeah, I think a lot of people forgot about Ethan Herkett as well. I mean, yeah, I was uh, writing yeah. I was writing some yesterday um, talking about potential or the 10 uh, storyline story that I wrote that you can check on the site um, about the spring. And I was like, going through guys and I was like, holy crap, like I totally forgot about Ethan Herkett. Obviously, you know, he had an injury that cut his season short, but you know, the, the Xavier product played linebacker in high school. Really, Iowa was the only school that was honestly recruiting him. And it was it was a bit of a surprise that Iowa offered when they did. But, you know, they saw something in him that, you know, potential. And, you know, now he's really playing when he was healthy, playing at a really high level. And, you know, the hope is that he'll be back for most of spring. I haven't heard official word on it yet, but I thought he really showed a lot of encouraging signs. You know, you mentioned Deontay Curry as well. I don't think Joe Evans will be an every down guy. I think he's yeah. best suited as, you know, being that third down, you know, pass rush specialist. You know, he got better against the run this year too. But, you know, I thought he really showed, you know, his strength is in pass and with his speed and twitch and, you know, maybe being a little undersized. I think he's at like 240 pounds. Um, you know, he's not going to be a true outside guy, you know, every down, but, you know, can bring yeah. a lot to, you know, the table with his, with his speed and twitch, as I mentioned before. Um, you know, Deontay Craig, high on him. Chris Reams was another guy that Kelvin Bell mentioned last year was in the rotation. So, you know, there are going to be options, but, you know, it's who's going to be that every down guy or, you know, that consistent guy that Ben Valkenberg was. Obviously, 
you know, there were times where he was stifled a bit, but, you know, I, I think what guys like, you know, Reams and, or not Reams, but like Herkett, Craig, and, you know, Evans have shown has, has been really encouraging. Um, you know, maybe, maybe Iowa hits the portal as well. That'd be another really interesting yeah. storyline. I know, you know, they were kicking the tires with a couple of guys, Cam Butler, who ended up going to Virginia was one of them. So, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count that out too, that the portal's a potential option as well. And if Iowa hits the portal, here's why I would tell fans, don't stress out about Iowa's depth at these positions. They just need some more time to be able to develop. Because I think there's a lot – I think Max Llewellyn's going to be a high-level guy on the edge. I think I think his upside is, is incredibly high. I'm eager to see if Jeremiah Pittman can continue to make progress when you throw in Logan Jones. I mean, you throw in uh, – you throw in a lot of guys. I mean – well, Logan Jones is that safe Jones, at, at center now. Yeah, they fl- I forgot they flipped him. I was I was trying to remember who they flipped. They flipped him. Uh, another guy, Sean, that I really want to see that take the next step. I think John Wagner has to have a year. I think you, you talk about a guy that physically is there. He needs that consistency. He has the athleticism. He's got several tools. I would like to see John Wagner take that big next step. Lucas Van Ness, I thought was. On, on for for what his expectations were last year, Sean, I thought he was unbelievable with with his, with his numbers and dominance he put on, especially for a guy that never played interior, you know, D tackle, and to do what he did, you know, shedding double teams, and it, it'll be interesting to see what Calvin Bell and, and Jane Neiman end up uh, just doing doing with him. So, and then obviously YA Black, uh, like you said, Chris Reams, Noah Shannon. I mean, there's plenty of options on this D-line, Sean, but you also think about this, and I think you're right. I think you say, you know what? They probably need one more stable piece, but they can't go in the portal and get some mid-transfer. They have to have a guy that's going to be, I think, expected to contribute right away because if you're adding another piece for depth, that would be a rotational player that's not proven to make plays at a high-end level. I mean, what does he really add to this Iowa defensive line? You may as well stick with the guys that you have in the room. Maybe, maybe that's just that's just my take on it, but that, that's the way I'd kind of approach the situation. Yeah, I mean, there's I, you know, we feel better about this line going into this year, I think, than we did last year. Yeah. Even yeah. with the loss of Van Valkenberg. And, you know, I know it's one of those things too where you kind of just know that guys are gonna come in. I remember talking to uh, Dallas Jacobus before the season, former walk-on who's now trying to make a music career. And I was like, hey, man, like, what do you think about this defensive line coming into – coming into uh, or not trying to make a music career, is making a music career. Yeah, yep. um, I said, hey, man, what do you think about this defensive line coming? He's like, you know, outsiders, like, are obviously going to doubt it, but you just got to expect at this point that it's Iowa, man. Like, guys are going to come in. They're going to be ready to go. You know, they've been training well. Calvin Bell is one of the best in the business. Um, you just got to expect that they're going to produce. And, you know, I, I would say for the most part, they did. Um, you know, obviously there was a couple moments where, you know, maybe it didn't work out well, but I think Iowa moving Logan Jones to center and how high they they were on him on the defensive line, especially a tackle, I think kind of tells, you know, the state of defense because they don't, it's not dire that they yeah. need him at, on the interior. Um, but also, I mean, center is a position where, Obviously, if you've been following along our site, you know what's been going on there, and yep. you know since Linderbaum uh, departing. So, you know that's that's obviously you know Hunter Norzag going after him this offseason was important, but obviously didn't get him. But um, like I said, I mean, if you've been following along, you know that getting Logan Jones at center is really important. And you know, I think the state of the defensive line is a really good place. And you know, Iowa's continued to stack classes where you know the defensive line has been 
not just the strength. I don't want to say only the strength of the class, but I think, you know, consistently up there with the, you know, the certain levels. I mean, obviously you haven't really seen many of the guys from 2021 yet, but, you know, you talk about, you know, the offensive line group. I mean, I think defensive line, you can consider it being maybe a step or two below the offensive line. I mean, the 2020 class, you already got guys like Lucas Van Ness, Deontay Craig, um, Ethan Hurricane, uh, you know, Logan Jones, obviously going to going to center now. Um, you know, I'm definitely forgetting one other I, name. I want to throw in, we haven't mentioned Logan Lee, who will be yeah. a big part of that defensive line as well. For sure, yeah. But, you know, I mentioned that 2020 class and how those guys have produced. Um, you know, 2022, there's a lot of there's a lot of good talk there. Obviously, Aaron Graves, I'm not saying he's going to be a first-year guy, but who knows if he sees snaps eventually. Yeah. Uh, Caden Crawford still learned the position, but he's been putting up big weight numbers. Brian Allen has really improved. I think he'll be – you know, I think he's working mainly outside now, but I think he'll be a guy that works in uh, in the inside at some point in the interior. So, and then the 2023 class are off to a good start. So there's a lot, there's a lot of excitement about that defensive line for sure. I mean, next year, I know we want to talk about the immediate, but you know, down the lines, you continue to stack classes. That's, that's what's become really important is stacking those classes, getting those guys in, because, you know, you talk about this class now, it's going to be, it's going to be one of the, uh, one of the classes where you really see the benefits or one of the groups where you really see the benefits of stacking those classes. Yeah. You know, I think back to the, the summer workouts and fall camp, Sean, and I remember hearing we were talking to Phil Parker and you talked about the strength. He said, yeah, I really feel like our defensive line's in a good place. And I mean, I remember just being taken aback by it because there were all the questions were about that. Everybody expected the secondary to be good. Everybody expected the linebackers to, continue to improve but look I, I'm very excited to talk to to Kelvin Bell on April 6th because I I'm really intrigued with the group that they have there I think there's a high upside the one thing I would like to see more Sean I think they did a great job and this is what made them good last year a very good defensive line it wasn't great but it was a very good sustainable one right they stayed in their gaps they were incredibly gap sound not much really got around them uh Iowa didn't get killed by running quarterbacks for the most part but Iowa needs that constant pass rush. I mean, there are times where you're sitting there like, okay, the secondary can only cover for six, seven seconds. And that's a long time to cover. That's a long time. Iowa has to have a guy or two that can just go in there, make a big time play in the backfield. And that's why I like the Justin Jacobs edition, make him more of a blitzing linebacker because he does have that capability. He has that athleticism. He has that speed. And I think that's where Iowa's defensive line and linebacking group can take that next step as just a defense, get more constant pass rush. And if they can do that, I think they'll be in a good spot. But, Sean, I want to flip over the cash position. I think this is one of the more intriguing positions on this team about what's going to happen. Dane Belton was a complete stable to this Iowa defense uh, over the past couple of seasons, had a breakout year during his junior year. I think you and I are both in agreement that he made the right decision to take, you know, to go to the league because I, you know, talking to scouts, talking to guys in a circle. I really don't know how much more his stock could have raised, even if he came back next year, just because of his size and his measurables. I just think teams are, hey, he is what he is. He's a good football player. I think they can carve out a role. Then you look at what Imani Hooker's done. Obviously, the comparisons are there. And Dane Belton acknowledged that yesterday. I'll have a story about that sometime in the next day or so. But there's a lot of intrigue with this. And I really think that, you know, maybe they throw Jamari Harris in there. I know we've thrown, we've talked about that a little bit. I'd really be interested, Sean. I don't think this is going to happen. I would really like for it to happen. 
I love to see K-Ball Merriweather move to that cash spot. I think he would be a very good player there. I know it might scare Iowa to throw Xavier Wampa in at safety and maybe throw Wampa in at cash. But, man, Sean, like Kayvon's size and his speed and his level of physicality, like Kayvon's not a dude that would back off to, against anybody, especially against, you know, maybe covering a bigger tight end, maybe covering a slot guy. If he has to move to the outside, he can do that as well. But then you throw in Sebastian Castro as well. I mean, there's there's a lot of intrigue, I, I think, with this position. And there's so, I don't want to say there's a right or a wrong answer, but there's just there's several ways that would make sense, at least in my mind, the way where Iowa could go here. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna disagree with you. I I don't I don't see Kayvon moving down there. Yeah. Um, I think the options that Belton gave were really encouraging, but you know, I also think he's kind of got that that Iowa, you know, media training down where you know he's not gonna reveal everything. Um, even though he's gone from the program, so. Yeah, I think Castro makes a lot of sense. Uh, I mentioned Jamari Harris. I like Jamari at corner personally, but that's why I'm not on the coaching staff. Um, you know, you know, you talk about Cooper DeGene as well. I know yeah. that I think yeah. someone mentioned Riley Moss maybe, but I think he'll work more corner. Um, you know, there's options for sure. And, you know, Dane mentioned a couple of younger guys, didn't say their names specifically, but, you know, I have to think that Cooper and Xavier were probably thrown into that mix because, when I talked to Xavier last before he enrolled, he said that the staff wanted him to learn all three positions, um, which I thought was really intriguing. And, you know, I I do think they'll figure it out. But, you know, I'm also interested to see maybe they go more 4-3 this year than they do cash. I mean, yeah. maybe they throw Justin Jacobs more in the field more. I'm, I'm really interested to see if that's, if that's something that they do, um, if they don't feel good enough about the cash position that, you know, they want to throw a guy like Justin Jacobs more in a 4-3. So I think that's going to be something to watch in the spring for sure. Definitely. And, you know, another guy I think you've heard positive buzz about, and I'm not saying he'd fit the cash position, but I still think it's worth mentioning. T.J. Hall has been has been pretty, pretty solid in, in the offseason workouts from what you've been told, and he was such a big addition. I mean, again, the, with the way Iowa finished off its secondary, it, it's such, I want to say, a relief for the coaching staff because nothing against the, 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 the guys before and, you know, 2021, et cetera. But – Sean, I remember us talking like, hey, these guys are going to probably turn to be good players. We'll never get questioned Phil Parker. But you also kind of sat there in the back of your mind like, when's Iowa going to make a splash in the secondary? Obviously, they got Cooper DeGene, which was a huge, huge addition. I mean, All-American. Yeah, he grew up an Iowa fan. He wanted to go to Iowa, all, you know, et cetera. But that's the level of talent he had, right, the level of athleticism. But then you look at, you know, T.J. Hall, Cohen Entrigger. Uh, Xavier Wampa and the Alondo Alondo Trader. I mean, Iowa's secondary, they're getting guys right now. And that's where it's going to be so intriguing to me. And like you said, I, I think it's smart for the for Xavier to be incredibly open to learning all three positions. That's how he's going to see the field quicker. I think he's going to have to see the field early in his career. I think he's too talented to keep off unless he's in, like really struggling to adapt to the college game. But when you have that level of size, athleticism, on top of that, football IQ and natural instincts to win football games and to make big plays and big moments, right now I, I think it's impossible that you don't see him on the field as a freshman. That's just me. I'm not trying to throw unrealistic expectations on him, but that, that's just the level of, of play I think he can achieve. And I'm with you, man. Like, I, I think Riley Moss would be an intriguing option at cash, but do you really want to take the Big Ten defensive back of the year and make mm-hmm. him switch positions? Granted, again, I'm not going to question Phil Parker if that's what they end up doing, but at the same time, you're kind of like, why roll the dice on that? Like, Riley was very consistent for the most part. 
Yeah, he struggled against Wandale Robinson, but I think people need to keep this in mind too. And this is not an excuse for him, but it's the reality. He wasn't 100%. Like he came back from that knee injury, remember, where I think a lot of people thought he was out for the year. And it took him a really a long time to get back under him. I think he said, yeah, you know, I'm fine for the most part. And he kind of said he's 100%. But the way I kind of read in between the lines, Sean, is, yeah, I'm 100%. But you know he's not 100%. He's probably 85 90%. There's still that 10 15% where it's kind of lingering and maybe a little bit bothersome. Maybe it ticks, you know, a tenth or two of a second off your 40, et cetera. I mean, there, there's plenty of things that could have attributed to that. But I'm with you. I think you're going to have – I think Iowa's going to have a little bit of a balancing act between guys in the secondary, and I think guys are really going to have to earn the role. I mean, I don't even think – like you said, I don't even think Riley Moss position safe. I think he's going to start. I think he's going to earn it because that's the talent he is. But like you said, you mentioned Xavier Wampa. Then you only have one other corner position, right? You have Terry Roberts and Jamari Harris who are both probably like licking their chops saying, this is my time. I'm going to be yeah. a starting cornerback. So – and then you got Kayvon Merriweather, Sebastian Castro, who I think is eager to make a name for himself. Made a couple of big plays in special teams last year as well. Um, like I said, there's so much intrigue about where Iowa could go. I feel like the only thing that's super locked down, Sean, is three positions. I Four positions, I think, off the top of my head. Outside punter, I'm not throwing in punter. Running back, because I think Gavin and LaShawn are going to be the guys. I think Caleb Johnson can make a run just for his level of just how built he is. Maybe he gets – spare snaps here and there i think linebackers are, are locked down i think tight ends are locked down and i think the starting receivers are locked down but everything after that sean it's free game especially on the offensive line uh i, I think you know center will be interesting to follow i think connor colby is locked down a spot but you know some a player I really want to mention, Sean. I know I'm going all over the board here. I really want to see if a healthy David Davidkoff can push for p- playing time, and that's gonna be yeah. one of my things I'm watching for. And I think it's gonna be a long shot, but I I I I love his film. I love his level of physicality. It, it'll be. It's just again, there's so many, there's so much interest and intrigue about this team. But the reality is, Sean, I'm. My way too early prediction for next year is I'm still putting them near to, you know, potentially to win the Big Ten West. I think that's the level of team that they can have next year. And to go on right tackle, I think I know a lot of people are going to be like kind of, you know, not super pleased with it. But, you know, if I had to predict right now, I think DeYoung and Plum are probably going to be the two main guys. I, I still think yeah. Davidkov might be a year away. Sure. Um, I know I talked about him a lot, but I still, I still think maybe he's got another year. Um, to really figure things out, we'll see. I know, I think DeYoung and Plum, I think one or two of them can both make that leap forward for sure. Which one? I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about the Big Ten West too. I think you have to consider Iowa because you know, it's it's gonna be a free game in the conference again. It's gonna be Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Obviously, you know, people are gonna talk about Nebraska preseason hype. Um, you know, Illinois, I don't think will really contend. Purdue loses a lot. Um, Northwestern, I mean, they they're coming off not not so hot year, um, but, you know, it's Northwestern and, you know, sometimes their Big Ten championships have been in the most unconventional way um, or Big Ten West championships. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say Iowa's got, you know, good as chance as anyone at winning the West. Um, but, I mean, I think that's just because it's, it's open game. It's so open um, to see who can to see who can take it home this year. I think Iowa obviously got pretty lucky 
with how what happened last year. And obviously, you know, you talk about some of the games that they had where, you know, they just did not come out at all ready to play. Yeah. And, you know, I know that's going to happen from week to week where they're just physically outmatched. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's wide open. I do think it's fair to say that, you know, they could they could win it, but they could also, you know, finish third or, you know, second or wherever. Sean, any other final notes about, about spring ball that you want to hit on before? I, I think we're going to learn a lot tomorrow. Hopefully we have a good press conference with Kirk Ferentz, all full coverage of that event tomorrow. Uh, that's going to be at 3 o'clock p.m. So I'll probably start having content up around 4, 35 o'clock. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But, Sean, any other final notes about football? I do want to hit on one basketball topic uh, before we wrap up this podcast quickly that just came out breaking news. Um, no, I want to, uh, I'll have like notes throughout the spring ball kind of stuff. I'm hearing a couple tidbits here and there, um, you know, kind of preview stuff, players I'm excited to see, players that need to make the next step, um, you know, freshmen to watch or, you know, whatever guys in the, that guys that can make, you know, that this is a really important spring ball for. So kind of just be on the lookout for those. Cause I know, I know a lot of people really like those types of tidbits that we provide. And I do want to hit on this just because this came out about two minutes ago. It's official. Iowa's Keegan Murray and Caitlin Clark have been named the finalists for the Naismith Player of the Year Awards, one of four finalists in men's and women's basketball. Obviously, it was a rough ending for both of them. Uh, but it's going to be very interesting, Sean. I think I think Oscar Shibwe has the, the men's pretty much locked down. I think Johnny Davis really, really struggled. Granted, I don't think he's healthy down the stretch at all but he looked like a shell of himself that he was during the regular season, just nowhere near as dominant. Uh, Keegan, I think has been the most consistent player in the country. Uh, but Shibwe is just a, he's an, almost an old school kind of center. Don't you think Sean, just very rebound oriented, putbacks, efficient basketball player. I've been, I, I love watching his game. He's probably one of my, one of my favorite three or four players in college basketball to watch just because his game is so unique and the way he's, you know, I think he's inc- really elevated that Kentucky team. And I think that Kentucky team, honestly, is strange to sound, Sean. Outside of the NCAA tournament, they almost overachieved based on all the injuries and the lack of heavy guard scoring that they had this year. Sheeple, I mean, I, I didn't watch too much of Kentucky this year, but I do think that, you know, you talk about the player of the year. I I think the yes, I mean, I don't really know because I was looking at something the other day. I think Travis Branham of our, 24-7 site put together put together a list of uh the winners and losers of I mean I know it's like a it's a season long award. Um but I think he had I know he had Johnny Davis as one of his losers of the weekend. I mean, because he wasn't all overly productive. And I know it's gonna be a lot of recency bias bias, but I mean I don't yeah, I really don't know if there's one guy that could potentially take over or you know, potentially be the guy. I, I do think yeah. it's pretty even across the board. I think Keegan would have had a shot if Iowa didn't. And I grant, I don't know when the voting went in. I think it had already went in. But if 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 you're going in with conference play and in the conference tournament, I mean Keegan made as strong of a final push as I think you could possibly make. So that that might be something worth watching. And I'll, I'll touch on the women side of it really quick, Sean. I think I think it's a joke if Leah Boston wins it. I think Caitlin Clark is far and away the best basketball player in the country. I I think Nelissa Smith from Baylor has been incredibly effective this year but Aaliyah Boston's a really really good player but I mean when you look at what Megan Gustafson did two years ago and the numbers that she put up and there was still a lot of argument about why she shouldn't win it and then you compare that to Aaliyah Boston's numbers and especially with all the help that she has around her at South Carolina 
quite frankly, I think it's an insult to the game of basketball if she wins it over Caitlin. Because Caitlin, and I'll even throw this in, Sean. Like, if you have LeBron James and Kevin Durant calling you box office, putting them on your Instagram story and saying that is the best player in women's college basketball, I think those two guys are pretty credible for knowing the game of basketball. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I also would point to I don't know what more Caitlin Clark could do to to lock down that award, maybe besides shoot two or three percentage points better from three-point range. But even that, with, with, with all the injuries that the women's team dealt with this year and the way she drove them to win the Big Ten regular season and conference championship in a loaded conference this year, I mean, it was pretty pretty impressive to watch, Sean. Yeah, no, most definitely. I'll let you. Uh, I'll let you fight that Caitlin Clark battle on your own. I don't. I don't want South Carolina fans in my mentions about that. Yeah, don't. It's it's not fun. I had them all over. It was ugh. but hey, man. What do you, I mean? You, you gotta know what you're getting into. And the reality is, if more people are watching women's college basketball, I think it's a good thing for sport as a whole. So if people are talking about. It, they're talking about. It. Uh, then I think that's gonna wrap it up for us. We'll. We'll. I think Sean. We'll dive more into this. You know, early next week, especially after the Kirk Ferentz press conference. Uh, we will be able to start meeting with uh, the players next Tuesday. And then Wednesday, we will have Brian Ferentz, Kelton Copeland, and Abdul Hodge meet with the media. And that will be really interesting, the Abdul Hodge and Brian especially, uh, with with just the, the role changes. And I'm really hoping, you know, Brian kind of dives deep into uh, the switch from tight end to, to quarterback and maybe what the – now, I won't say logic, but – just the thinking process behind it. Um, so that's going to do it for us. David Eichel, be sure to follow us at SBOC247, at Hawkeyes on 247, at David Eichel. Be sure to stay tuned to HawkeyeInsider.com for the latest Iowa news analysis and in-depth scoop. Until then, we'll talk to you soon.